Welcome to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast, brought to you by DonorSearch, the show that takes you inside the lives of thought leaders, innovators, and change makers in fundraising, philanthropy, and civil society. I'm your host, Jay Frost. In today's episode, we speak with Tony Myers, internationally acclaimed consultant, strategist, author, speaker, teacher, mentor, board member, and executive coach who has guided leaders to realize their vision, mission, and financial goals at over 60 nonprofit organizations on six continents. Dedicated to building a sector guided by sustainability, accountability, and leadership, his approach is to listen first, seek deep understanding, identify challenges, and then find ways to work collaboratively to meet those challenges head on. We began our conversation in an exploration of his earliest days, learn how he found the juice to persist when others only saw limits, and discover his vision for a world driven by love. And you talked about coming from a family of nine. Where was that? And what was that like? It, 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 it was a formative time, Jay. And uh, it was in, in uh, um, just a small town at the time outside of Toronto, Ontario in Canada. And um, the small town at the time was about 3,500 people and it was called Oakville. Well, today Oakville is a quarter million people, but that was back then. What was it like? It was, um, it was an adventure. Um, it was, it was, uh, it was challenging uh, living in a small house with 11 people. There was never enough space. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and and you could never find your stuff, you know. <laughs> and I think that that forced me in 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 as I grew older to to be super organized and keep my stuff close at hand and in an organized fashion so I could find it. But it was it was interesting. It was it was it was challenging because you needed to to take care of yourself. It was challenging because you needed to be your own person in a in a larger group yes you depended on others you worked in a team but you needed to be your own person and to get ahead uh, you needed to find your own space and time and and i think discipline so th- it was a i never would ever look back and say oh my gosh i was hard done by I would look back and say that I was really fortunate to have had that opportunity that were really formative in terms of my values, in terms of my um, habits as a human being, and in terms of my character building. So I, I'm, I'm indebted for that opportunity. At the same time, it was, you know, it was tough, but, but, but it's okay. It was tough because you, you, you learn from tough experiences and you grow from tough experiences. And um, I think I learned and I grew and I benefited. So it was good. Some people talk about how when there's nine kids, it it means that they're naturally close because they're physically close. But for others, that's not always true, especially when they're trying to divvy up the food at dinner time. Were, Were you close to your siblings and are you today? I was, I was, I think, I think we are close and, 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 and surprisingly close. Um, and, 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 you know, interesting, you mentioned dinner because there were times at dinner where, you know, you were hungry mm-hmm. and um, there wasn't enough food and you went to bed hungry. Um, yeah. And, 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 and there were times when, the frost on the windows were on the inside, not the outside. You know, so it was. There, there were interesting times, and 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 again, the, you know, as I as I look back, Jay, uh, uh, they they, you know, some of them were tough times, and you know, in a large family, sometimes it's tough to get the attention of your parents. It's tough to get get airtime, <laughs> and um, but again, you grow from that, and you learn from that, and I think you build character from that, and. And and if you're able to take it and and to move it in the right direction, you can benefit from that. And I think, at the end of the day, I did benefit from that. Can you talk about your parents a little bit? Ooh, <laughs> what an interesting question! My um, uh, 
my my father was uh spent time in the army and uh, he was in the first world war and and he was a uh, he, he came home and and had built into his psyche the the whole army thing in the background and that's how he did his discipline as most dads i think or many dads did in those days um he was a jeweler is an incredibly hard working man and and um averse to risk oddly enough and averse to risk probably because he had a very limited education i think i think he had he had uh, grade grade 9 maybe grade 10 my mother was the same in term her education my my mother was my uh my mother taught me i could do anything i wanted to hmm. uh, within within reason she she i remember once um and this was a uh um a formative moment in my life. I, we would go home, nine kids, you can imagine. Go home, my mother would be resting in the afternoon and she might be getting up from a nap and we'd all climb up on the on, on my mom and dad's bed and sit around and, and we'd chat about our day and and um, chat about school and talk about things, just just talk, just talk. And they were, they were really special times. I remember once struggling to wonder what I would be when I grow up. And I was I was really really troubled by this and 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 as we had this conversation, she told me that I I, I needn't worry that that in fact I could be anybody I wanted to be within reason and and within reason those who know me know I'm a short man and so in within reason means I would never be an MBA uh, basketball player but but. I could do anything I wanted to do within reason. And, and I think I've lived my life that way. I've, I've, um, I think if you can think it, you can do it. And, and, and I, and, and I, I think things and I do them and, and, uh, what, what a positive affirmation as a, as a young person and to be able to carry that through life, um, a single interaction with your parents. So she was my, uh, she was my cheerleader my my supporter um my my confidant my um um my inspiration so what were some of the things that you talked about doing and being when you got older as a child talking with your mom um i had trouble getting through high school uh jay <laughs> i spent 8 years in getting in getting through high school which is a formidable amount of time and and you know eight years of getting through high school but I, I did I, I got through I left I had to leave home because I couldn't study at home interesting enough you know with nine kids you, 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 you there's no room to study there's no time to study there's no space to study mm -hmm. so I literally had to leave home in order to finish high school because I I needed to study to get out of high school I wasn't a, a great student I was a I was a I'm a slow learner a slow reader and a I found it hard to learn, so I, I left home, and and uh, because I finally realized I wanted to, at some point in my life, I wanted to get married, have kids, to teach, and I didn't want to work as hard as my mom and dad. So mm -hmm. I determined I needed an education to do that, and to get an education, I need to leave home. To be a teacher, I needed to go to university. To go to university, I needed to get out of high school. So I left. I lived on my own for two years in the last two years of high school, and got through, and then. Accepted to four universities, which I was thrilled in and attended one. The other thing that was inspirational is that for me, Jay, is, to, is the, the motivation of my life is to tell me I can't. Mm. I remember a guidance counselor telling telling my mother that I I would never get out of high school, and and uh, and and I remember uh, um, she telling me that, and I remember me committing to, in fact, doing the opposite. And and did so I you know I I finished high school I went on to university I I got two undergraduate degrees I went on to do a master's and finally a PhD and 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 never to be academic I always wanted to understand deeply 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 understand the world of philanthropy and and how it worked so I could practice it and and so I could engage in it so I could excel in it so I could help others be successful so. Um, yeah, I this I, yeah. drive you're describing is something I've I've heard before from family and friends, other people I've met. 
sometimes it's driven in response to things. It sounds like it was both uh, something that you you knew you could do. You had that support from your from especially from your mom, um, uh, but also in uh, in response to people saying you can't, and that's that's very remarkable because some people just stop at what people were told they couldn't do, but you kept going and going. Um, where did you continue to find the juice to do that? Mm. Um, it, the, the juice is found in joy and purpose. Mm. Um, it, I remember, um, what is it? The the eight habits of uh, is it eight habits of highly effective people? Um, um, maybe seven seven habits. Seven habits highly, yes. yeah, I never remember the title. Either. Yeah, 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 it is seven habits of highly effective people. And who who wrote that? It was um, I'm trying to think. In any event, I had an opportunity to take a course, uh, um, and and was privileged to take a course on seven habits of highly effective people. And and um, and out of that course, I, I was able to develop a personal vision statement, a personal mission statement, and 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 it's continued to to develop. And I think it was around thirty five or forty when I when I did that. But but my ultimately, I found a purpose and a, and a vision for life. And 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 I found that both through 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 that course and through my work. And in 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 my purpose in life is to help others be successful. Um, and and to live within the laws of nature, and I refer to laws of nature as the laws of common sense about treating other people kindly. You know, do unto others that you would have them do, do do unto you. And I, I I don't want to sound philosophical by doing that, but I I really do believe that 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 uh, that my role in life is to serve and and to help others be successful and. And and by doing that, that's brought me joy. My my vision in life is is a world clear, driven by by and guided by philanthropy, and it's so it's just so simple, you know. Because philanthropy is the love of humankind, and 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 um, so a world driven by love is is a much different world than than in much of the world that we see today, at least in 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 politics and in international affairs, and particularly with you know what's going on in with Russia and Ukraine and, 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 and a lot of disruption that's going on globally. So I, uh, I think those two things have given me joy and given me the juice to keep going. And, and even today, I mean, even today it is, it is, it is the joy of helping and supporting others. And, and it, it, it gets me out of bed every morning and, and it, and and it, and it's the greatest reward you can have, and and it and it and it feeds feeds me, and and gives me that juice to continue. Now the word philanthropy itself, and you just defined it. It's always helpful to to revisit that which you've just done, uh, but that's not a word that most of us know when we're kids, and it, it may not even be something we see an example of when we're young. Did you see something as a kind of a model of people helping others either at home or outside the home when you were young? And then when did you understand that to be what you're now describing as philanthropy, the thing that you studied and that you practice? You know, it's interesting. It's a great question. Great question. I, I, I found philanthropy through fundraising. I didn't find fundraising through philanthropy. Mm. And, and, and um, you know, I was, I was so fortunate to, 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 to attend St. Mary's University in Minnesota in Winona, Minnesota, and do a master's in philanthropy and development. And, and as part of that program, and you may have heard it from others, is that you needed to write your own philanthropic autobiography. And so I had to go back and figure out where did where did I find this, you know, where did I find this this my my philanthropy? Where did I find my my sense of 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 giving? And 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 there's two sides of that. One is the philosophical side, which is the spiritual value driven side, and the other is the skill side. So the the skill side actually was it came to me first, and and you know it at the age of ten or twelve my. My father was involved in a number of different clubs in town, you know, the Kiwanis Club, the Lions Club, you know, Optimus Club, what, 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 you know, what, whatever those clubs were. And they, they were a big thing in back in the day, particularly following the, you know, the Second World War. And 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 they were community building clubs. And, and so there were always raffles and those raffles were tickets. And, you know, I think if you sold 10 tickets, you got uh, tickets were a dime a piece or something crazy like that. And if you sold 10 tickets, you got to keep a dime. So I used to go door to door 
and sell these tickets for my father because he was responsible <laughs> for selling so many books of tickets. And he, he gave them to his son who wanted to make a dime on a dollar or something. What is it? 10% and return on investment. Not bad in those days, but it, it, so I went door to door and then he would coach me on, on, on sales. Interesting enough. <laughs> and, you know, you knock on the door and you look somebody straight in the eye and you pose the question and you shut your mouth, you know, the same things we learn about asking for money. And, and so that was a wonderful experience, you know, and, and then I, I was in a fraternity in high school and we used to have fundraisers that we raised money for, for causes. And, and, and so that was a, an early experience. And, and then when, when, I graduated and I went into journalism and in journalism, you learn to talk to people because you interview people all the time. That's how you gather stories and gather information because the role of the journalist is to tell a story mm-hmm. and, and, and to gather information. So you learn how to, so you bring all of those things together and um, you know, and, and, and it, and it, and, and it, and it helps develop the skills you need as a, as a, in my case, as a major donor fundraiser and somebody who works on capital campaigns. Um, on the spiritual side, the value side is, is I, I guess I, I go back to my, you know, to my mom who was involved in the community and uh, worked on a crisis line. And, and, and um, you know, my mom and dad who were, who were, awarded as as citizens of distinction in our hometown because of the volunteer work they did and so i think we all learn this by example um and 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 by those who we see and and so i don't know if there's any one experience jay but there's a there's a, a combination of of a number of experiences um that that come to play and um I, you know, Jay, I, I, when I graduated from uh, St. Mary's University of Minnesota, I was dying to find out where, actually, the answer to your question, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was dying to find out where people learn their philanthropy. Right. And, um, um, and, and, and actually, I did a study, I interviewed, um, at one point in my life, I interviewed uh, 22 to 25 major donors and high net worth individuals and, and, and talked to them about where they learned their philanthropy, how they learned it, and 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 how they how they went about it, and it and it was um, it was a fascinating fascinating experience to have those conversations and and um, and they were among the most amazing conversations I think I've ever had in with, with a group of people in my life, because uh, when, when you talk to people about, about giving, not, not about giving money, you talk to people about giving mm-hmm. about the most important gift they've ever given. When you talk to people about where they volunteer and, 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 and why they volunteer, mm-hmm. when you talk to people about gifts they've received, um, they tell you incredible stories, you know, and, and, and when you talk to people about giving, about receiving and about volunteering, you're able to go to the heart of their philanthropy. You know, Jay, some of the things we learned in that were just the, some of the most fascinating things I ever, you know, people talk to me, I, when I ask people now, Again, I'm talking to major donors and high net worth individuals. So I talked to these people about about um, the most important gift they've ever received, and 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 you'd be absolutely amazed at the answers you got. You know, one one was um, one answer. Just to give you a couple examples, one answer was the most important gift I ever received is is um, uh, was was a job by my uncle on his farm driving a truck even though there was no job because it kept him out of trouble when he was 16 years old uh, another another answer i, I got from a, a high net worth individual was a i think it was a, a loan of a thousand dollars from his parents that resulted in his ability to maintain his company which then he sold for $82 million some years later. 
Um, other answers were blankets from a friend, pictures after there was a fire in my house, um, um, conversation during postpartum depression, the mm -hmm. greatest gifts people ever received. So when you talk to people about gifts and about giving and about receiving, about receiving, and if you're able to have, you, you literally go to the heart and soul of their philanthropy and you find out what, what, what makes them tick, what their values are. And mm -hmm. what's so fascinating about that, Jay, is that, you know, people don't give from the wallets. They give from their heart and from their values. And if you know people's values, and if you're able to connect their values with the values associated with your cause, you don't need to raise money. You just connect the values. It strikes <laughs> me as you say this, Tony, that um, not everybody has the opportunity to have that kind of conversation or to do that kind of autobiography that you described that you did at the university for your master's. How important is that to not just what we do, but to these people? to ourselves to first go through that autobiographical process and be able to say, this is where I came from. This is what really moves me. And then to maybe have those conversations with others. Sometimes it's for fundraising, sure, but maybe it's just to give people the opportunity to kind of do that self inventory and, and have the privilege of describing what moves them. It is important. I mean, how important is incredibly important, Jay. I mean, and, and we both know that it's so important. Um, why is it important? I think is the question that it, we really want to get at. And I think that's what you mean by your question. I think it's important for all of us involved in philanthropy to go to the heart of our own philanthropy, because if we're able to go to the heart of our own philanthropy, if we're able to, to go and understand our own values, uh, then it, it gives us, it, it's the starting point for connecting with others. It, 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 it's got to be the starting point for connecting others. In addition to that, Jay, if we don't go there ourselves, then how can we go there with others? And, and some may argue you can, and I won't deny that. I won't deny that. But if you are able to go there yourself, and, and if you are able to take a deep dive on your own values, if you're able to take a deep dive on your own philanthropy, you can help others take a deep dive on theirs. You know, I, 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 I've never called myself a philanthropist. I, I think we all are, but I, I don't know why I don't. But I've never called my philanthropist. But it, in, I think that, that philanthropy is at the heart of who I am, what I am, and what I do. Mm -hmm. But and that allows me to help others get there. Um. It, it allows me to help others get there. And, and if you help others get there, there's no limit to what others will give. And, and there truly is no limit to what others will give. When you're able to touch the core of their being, the heart of their person, the core of their philanthropy, um, you're able to connect them largely or minimally or, or small uh, to, to your cause. And whenever, whenever you're made that connection, um, you're not fundraising. You're giving your donor the joy of giving. You're giving your donor the joy of making a difference. Mm -hmm. And money is just only a tool. It's just a tool to help to realize the higher purpose. You know, in, in difficult economic times, Jay, and, and you know, we're talking now, uh, you know, globally, we're talking about, are we going to go into recession? And to what degree are we going to go into recession? And will there be a depression? And and it seems to be modifying a little bit now, but that's been the conversation over the last six months in a post-pandemic time. And and when I've worked with people during difficult economic times, um, you know, I, I try to instill in people that there's there's no there, there's no limit to love. There's there's limits to money. I think <laughs> we we only have as much as we have, or don't have as much as we don't have. But there's no limit. You don't need to put a limit on love or put a limit on philanthropy. And if we're able to to approach. Um, particularly, uh, you know, major donor giving from a philanthropic point of view, 
then then we're we're able to go much further than than a you know a, a one-off gift or we're able to go much much further and than just uh you know than um you know just just getting the money it's not it's not about the money it's about values and making the value connection with another human being it strikes me as you're talking about much of this that you also gained a tool set rather early right out of high school you're in college and then working in journalism for storytelling sure but also maybe for knowing which questions to ask in order to elicit those stories then you talked about these interviews you did later and everything for the the person who received the blanket and the person who drove the truck and all these things which were so critical to them and who they are how much of those experiences did those people even understand before they were asked those questions do let me we go need back the questions then, to get there you know yeah. let me go back and then we go forward because it, it, there's 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 something i just wanted to clarify and, and i did not learn it young jay I, I and i will answer your question i did not learn it young uh, I think I was middle age and, and, you know, I, I, I didn't do a master's until I was 50. Hmm. I didn't do a PhD until I was 60. So these were not young learnings. They were middle life learnings. And I, you know, even, even today, those people that I mentor and I, I, I mentoring is one of the things that I, I love to do most about my work is even those people I mentor who, who might be frustrated at 35, might be frustrated at 40, might be frustrated at 45. I need to remind them that I did not find philanthropy until I was 50. And then for the last 25 years, I've been able to practice that. But it wasn't until 50 that I found philanthropy. You're correct in the assumption that I had skills that I developed earlier in life that I was able to bring to philanthropy. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until I was 50 that I found it. And in, in my second half of my life or third third quarter or third quarter or, or third inning, whatever you want to call it, it you know, I that I was able to practice it. Back to your question, though, how did... um. Were people able, and if I understood your question correctly, were the people able to realize their own core philanthropy before you asked the question? Then my answer was, I don't think so. I think that they would have been unconsciously aware of their own philanthropy, but not consciously aware. And it is through becoming consciously aware of, of, uh, of our own values, but by becoming consciously aware of our own, and I'll even call it a need, Jay, mm -hmm. that 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 we can pursue our own values and pursue our own needs. And that is a need to make a difference, a need to 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 give, a, a, a need to feel the satisfaction of 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 a legacy of some kind that you can leave in the world. And I think that comes from a conscious awareness of, of, of that. And I think part of the, the role I have to play is helping people become consciously aware of their own values, consciously aware of their own skills and abilities, consciously aware of the contributions they have made to society and the contributions, consciously aware of the contributions they can make to society. So I, I, I I see that as 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 much of 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 my job as is as 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 raising money and 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 as a consultant then I see that as much of my job as as helping uh, people learn the discipline associated uh, with with philanthropy. Let me just add one more thing, if I could, Jay. One of the things I is most valuable things I learned. In, in the work I've done is, is that I've learned to make a distinction between fundraising, development, and philanthropy. And, and in writing about this stuff, I've, I've been able to make a distinction knowing that fundraising is a skill, development is a discipline, and philanthropy is a philosophy. And the challenge I, 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 and the frustration <laughs> I face is I spend so much of my life spending time teaching others the skill and, and the discipline. And, and it's, it takes so long to get to the philosophy because people, 
people don't seem to be willing to dive into the into the values and philosophy of fundraising and 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 or dive into the values of philanthropy until they know the skills and the development because that the skills and the discipline because that makes them comfortable in in moving forward so um it, but it is the most exciting part of of the work i do is when you get down to that human interaction and value driven conversations that magic occurs I was going to ask you why that's the case, but I think you've just explained it. But maybe I can ask that in another way, because uh, that's that's such a beautiful way that you've described that uh, about coming to the point in one's life where we can be interested in exploring the philosophy behind uh, the things that that we and others do, uh, and philanthropy being the the architecture for for understanding many of those things. If but it, you talked about how you came to the educational part of much of this when you were 50 and then when you were 60 going and getting these additional not just degrees but your way of exploring these topics what if you were to talk to a younger tony uh so <laughs> tony at 25 or 30 uh you pick the date and and uh and asked him if he was interested in exploring the philosophy of philanthropy versus going out there and raising the money for whatever the cause was you were working with at the time, would you have understood it at that time? I mean, how, how, when do we, why do we come to this when we come to it? And, and, uh, and would you have understood it back then? Short answer is I don't, I, I don't think so, uh, Jay. I don't think I understood it. It would have understood at 25. I think the rare person can understand it at 25, but I, you know, at 25, you have, you know, uh, you, you're, 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 you're either new to a life partner or you're you're still uh, aware of uh you want uh to a life partner you at 25 you're you're beginning a career and and wondering you know where's my where's the money going to come from mm -hmm. uh for 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 my rent and and do i have enough to live for the year and and will i be able to buy you know to buy a vehicle so i can get around and will i be able to travel i think there's other things in life that you're still exploring and 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 let me give you a very practical answer to that question and the practical answer to that question jay it comes from understanding i and i learned this from my my financial advisor it comes from understanding the life cycle of a of 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 financial life cycle of most people and and the and and you've heard this before i'm sure but the life cycle is is driven by first of all is by acquisition of wealth second is the is 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 by a growth and protection and the third is by is by dissemination we all we can't take it with us so, mm -hmm. so um when you in the in the wealth cycle you're you're just acquiring wealth and and goods as a young person and so it 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 and and it's about sustainability and it's about conference it's about safety it's about you know the hierarchy of needs when you're young you know safe and eat and sleep and, and, and do can i do those things do i have enough money to do that middle age we're you know marrying our kids going to university and and we're about growing anything that we 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 might have acquired and and protecting it for old age and in old age we realize if if we are fortunate enough to have enough then we can we we can disseminate it or or get rid of it before we go and and direct where it's going to go. So at a young age, we're we're in terms of a wealth cycle or a financial cycle or a sustainability cycle, we're still acquiring those things we need in order to 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 live a life. And so to think at a higher level is difficult for most, I think. I, that that makes perfect sense. Um, that we have to meet um the challenges of life where we are and then it also means that it informs our understanding of, of those things we have a language for them maybe um I, I you know i asked you whether tony at 25 or 30 would have would have thought of these things in that way or understood them that way but i i didn't ask you what you were doing then <laughs> and i know you were working in a number of different positions and gaining these skills and applying them early on in those, those, you know, that, that more formative part of your, your uh, career with fundraising and development before you really uh, um, invested yourself fully as you do today in philanthropy and mentoring of others. 
do you mind just taking us very quickly on a tour of where you you uh, you cut your teeth doing this work before you started doing the work that you do today? Yes, uh, and and just maybe sixty seconds, and just to trace that, you know, uh, Jay, I, I I graduated from university and went to work as a as a photographer in a television station, mm-hmm. and and I went there because it's the, the it it was the first job I could get, and 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 I had a professor who who had a link in in broadcasting and and helped me get started because I did a degree in English and communications. As a photographer, I, I found I was shooting news and news and public affairs, and I was shooting film, and 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 I and I and I found I I I was frustrated with those who were in front of the camera. I was behind the camera, and felt I could do a better job. So I wanted to go into journalism. So I went, and and I went into journalism, and I I did my own public affairs program five days a week. Um, I worked as a as a as a. a um, as as a TV reporter for for a number of years, and ran into legal problems as a TV reporter because of uh, I was uncovering stories that were much bigger than I was, and they were national stories. And I was sending these stories to national programs because they were bigger than I was. And I found out I I I wanted to know more about the law, so I went to law school. And I went to law school to become a better journalist, not to become a a, a lawyer. When I graduated from law school, I went back into journalism and, and I went to in, in our capital city here in Canada and Ottawa and worked for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation as a reporter there and in journalism. And 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 after that, I I I um, I, I went into teaching. So I taught for five years and 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 after teaching for five years, um, I went into into communications in, in in government communications and I worked inside government in, in in communication did that for six years and then I went to a university and I did communications for one of Canada's largest universities and was head of communications for that organization and at that time we transitioned from um into our first ever fundraising campaign which is a you know it was a two, ended up to be a 200 million dollar campaign at the time and that was some 10 or 20 years ago 20 years ago 25 years ago and and that's where I made the transition from communications to uh, to fundraising, and then and and worked for two or three different organizations, and finally ended up as advisor to a president of one of Canada's largest universities, and 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 from there worked with him to um, to help uh, to, to to help on the fundraising side, to help on major project side, and and to be his advisor on 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 that on that, and. Um, and then when established my own consulting company in, in 2008 and have worked in, in globally since then and, and worked and taught and spoke and, and on six continents around the world. So that's the kind of short version. <laughs> that's, that's quite a Reader's Digest version of a really stellar career before you were doing what people know you to do today. Um, and it, it also strikes me that uh, the this kind of... Um, wall that often exists in many not-for-profit organizations, universities and other places, it didn't seem to be a factor for you or you managed to jump over it pretty easily. And that's between communications and uh, and fundraising or, or you know, uh, development and marketing or whatever we want to call those silos. Uh, uh, I, I want to ask you about that just briefly before we tackle the big things that, that are moving you now. It, for those organizations that find themselves with these silos that exist, where sometimes people kind of scowl at one another or they live in different zip codes, <laughs> I'm wondering, what do you have any words of sage advice for them to see that it's possible to go from a world of communicating with others to inviting others to invest in the things that they both believe in? You know, as you, as you, as you began to pose the question, Jay, the you know, number one thing that comes back to me is leadership. And 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 leadership on two fronts, if if I might, uh, leadership on 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 in the organization. I I I I was so blessed to, to you know to 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 work with an incredible leader at the time when I made that transition, and 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 that leader brought together 
in the university environment, he brought together alumni and communications and 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 fundraising all under the same roof. And and so the transition between any one or two of those those disciplines or three of those disciplines was was very possible and 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 very much supported. So we work together as a team. So a leader who sees the interaction and interplay between between alumni and development and communications. So that was the first reason. The second reason I think was leadership of self. Um, it, we we grow to the point where we realize that at some point in our career that others are not responsible for our success. That at some point in our career, we need to realize that we are we are responsible for ourselves. And and yes, we all need mentors. We all need people to support us. We all need supporters in our own organization. But at the end of the day, we need to support ourselves, and we need to design the future for ourselves. And we need to you know, and 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 we need to I, I, not selfishly take care of ourselves. But we we need to design our own future and follow our own path and be responsible for that. So I I think leadership of self and and, and leadership and organization are the two things that that made that transition possible. Mm-hmm. And so if you're working in a silo, um, you either find a way to lead yourself to the next part of that silo, or lead yourself out of the organization and go someplace where where your your aspirations can be realized. Now you just touched on mentoring, which I know is deeply important to you. Um, where did that start to inform the way you've thought about all these things and and where is it today? It, it comes from two places, uh, uh, Jay. Uh, one, it, it comes from my personal uh, mission statement, which is 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 my 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 goal in life is to help others be successful mm-hmm. and and to live within the laws of nature. Um, and 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 to be others successful, then you have to help others one way or the other. And some can can uh, pay you for your time and effort, and others cannot. And and do not. Um, the second place that comes from is is I, I was given the gift of a mentor when I came to the profession, and and it was an incredible gift. And and this this individual who was my mentor was was able to uh, give me the skills, the discipline, and introduce me to the philosophy, and 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 was highly skilled, highly motivated. And, and 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 incredibly helpful. Um, I think that those people I know who have succeeded in any aspect of life have done so because they were gifted with a mentor or they sought out a mentor uh, through which they could discover their profession, discover themselves and their own values and discover the skill sets they needed to acquire in order to be successful. And I have been the recipient of an incredible mentor, a number of incredible mentors, but certainly one that I'll always be appreciative of, who brought me uh, to fundraising, then to development, and then to philanthropy. Uh, Is this something that benefits us at any point in our life because you've talked about how you've you've done many things and you've done many of them at times when many people say well I guess I've I've done my bit but you just keep going and going and uh and acquiring new skills and doing new things uh can one acquire or be gifted a mentor and be able to transition through these different parts of our lives at any point in our life Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, from my perspective, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you're, some of us are gifted with a mentor. Some of us uh, have to find a mentor. Some of us uh, need to, 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 to choose uh, to seek out somebody who can help them. You know, and I, I don't want to sound over biblical here but ask and you shall receive and knock and the door shall be open and you know i it, it's just so true the other thing that jay is so true and this keeps on happening to me in my life and even now you know even now you know i'll argue i'm reinventing myself it's even now you know when when you determine what it is you want from the universe and and you declare what it is you want in your own mind and and you pursue it 
than physically. I mean, you've got to do something. You know, my mother used to say, you know, God helps those who help themselves. But, it, you know, if if you put it out to the universe and you go after it, the world follows you. It's just the most incredible thing. It it happened to me when I, you know, when I did my master's, it happened to me when I did my PhD, it happened to me when I was fundraising, it happened to me, you know, when I when I changed careers, it, it's happened to me every time I change careers. It's happened to me every time I, I do a major project. You know, you think it, you want to do it, you declare you want to do it, you go after it, and the and the universe follows you and supports you. It's just the most amazing thing that happens. Now, you, today, you are doing many things with many organizations, and it doesn't look like in a standard bio or on a website that you describe these as necessarily as mentoring, but there is an aspect of it which clearly looks like that, that many of these organizations that you work with are all around the world. And the way that I finally, very late in my life, became acquainted with you was this work that you've done with organizations in Ukraine in the midst of a hot war for the first time in that part of Europe for many decades. Um, how is it that you're finding these people uh, who clearly benefit from not just having the skills and you know the, the, uh, the discipline, but this way of thinking about how anything is really possible even in the worst kind of catastrophe like they're experiencing? How are you finding them? How are they finding you? And, and how are you finding, in your words, the joy of guiding them through what is a very difficult time towards hopefully a, a better end for themselves, their organizations, and the people that they serve? You know, I, um, great question. When you, you asked how, how do I find these people? My, my immediate, my mind went immediately to the fact I don't, they find me. And, and the question then is how do they find me? And, and they find me because I'm out there doing what I love. Um, and, and they find me because um, I have been able to follow my vision and mission. They find me because I've, been able to live in alignment with my skills and abilities and, and my desire. They find me because I do the work I do is joyful. Uh, and, 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 and I, 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 and I, and I aspire to, to, to do excellent work regardless of what is paid for that work or whether in fact it is paid for or not. Um, so the short answer is they find me. How did I find Ukraine? It's interesting. And, and, and the, the short story is that that um, um, I started to, to work in Central and Eastern Europe because I did some volunteer work there. I worked at the international. I, I spoke in the, for the last 25 years at the International Fundraising Conference. Part of that speaking there has introduced me to people throughout Europe. And the way I got to Ukraine, ironically, was through Moscow. And I was invited twice prior to the war in 216 and 219 to speak at the Russian National Fundraising Conference and to share what I knew about major donor fundraising and work with nonprofit organizations in 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 Russia who were who were struggling to work uh, beyond the government and and in some case in spite of the government to raise money for needs in that country. And uh, I there was somebody from Ukraine who came uh, to Moscow to attend the international conference and that person invited me to come to Ukraine, which I did. I started working with the largest organization in Ukraine that was supporting kids with cancer. And that led me to three other organizations that I, that I, I work with in Ukraine and some of which I continue to do. How do I help them? I just help them with what I know. I help them uh, by listening. I help them by probably uh, Jay offering hope. Um, and I don't know, you know, how to offer hope. I don't sit down in the morning and say, well, Tony, how are you going to offer hope today? But if it, it's, it's by not being afraid to interact and, and to work with people who are struggling and, and to work deeply with them and, 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 and help, help, help them with one conversation at a time, just, you know, one act of kindness at a time, one, just just one step at a time you're not going to resolve the war but you can help to alleviate um 
challenge. You can help alleviate suffering. You can help alleviate confusion by one conversation at a time or one act of kindness at a time. And and so that's what I try to do and, and bring my understanding and discipline and, and knowledge to those who, who, who need it and to, to do it with love and kindness. I, as we're coming towards the end of this particular conversation, I feel like there's so much more I could ask you, but I'm not sure that the answers are easy because you keep evolving in ways most of us only aspire to do. But let me ask you anyway, as you look forward, what are some of the things that are still undone that you imagine that be the most fun, the most joyful, the most inspiring for you to do? What are you looking forward to next? The, the, the thing that has caught my attention, uh, Jay, is that I see three issues in the nonprofit sector, and I think I've shared those with you. Number one issue is sustainability. That's why there's a, you know, the, a whole fundraising enterprise in, in, in North America and around the world. Sustainability is an issue for the nonprofit sector. Number two, accountability is, is such a critical issue. Accountability, not only for raising money, but for the, how we spend money, but accountability and programming, accountability and how we operate our organizations, accountability and how we treat our donors, accountability and how we treat our beneficiaries. And, and the third issue in the sector for me is leadership. And, and, and my future is totally focused on leadership. I think in the, in, in the, in, in my, in my last iteration as a, as a operating professional and, and in my last iteration and the work I'm doing um, and dedicated to in philanthropy is, is working at, at the whole area of leadership in the nonprofit sector. That's the most important work that needs to be done. And, and, and anybody I speak with suggests to me that undeniably that's the most important thing that needs to be done. And so I started that work in my head probably three years ago, four years ago, but I started that work in earnest and, in in recent months, and uh, I'm dedicated to um, to f furthering uh, uh, leadership uh, and a leadership program I developed uh, with colleagues in Central and Eastern Europe in 2015, and and want to bring that leadership uh, uh, movement uh, to Canada, and um, and that's what I'm working on uh, pro bono full time um, these days, and. And, and that's where the future uh, of my time, energy, enthusiasm, and joy will, will go into that work over the next uh, I, uh, three to five years. It is, it is the most important thing I think I need to do in, in these final years, in, in my, my final active years. And hopefully they all will be active years. But, mm -hmm. you know, that that's what I'm dedicated to doing, totally and completely dedicated to working on that leadership piece and, and, and enthralled by it, excited by it, energized by it, enthused by it, and um, um, driven, driven by it. And because um, it's the most important work that needs to be done now in the NGO sector. In Canada, United States, oh my God, in the United States and in Europe. Um, in, in, in the Western world that I'm working in, in the Eastern world that I'm not as familiar with, in the Southern Hemisphere that I'm not as familiar with. But that's the most important work that needs to be done globally in the NGO sector. The Philanthropy Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions. Our producer is Jack Frost. Our theme music is Be My Remedy, composed and performed by House of Say. You can subscribe to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, webcasts, and CFRE accredited webinars with our featured masterminds at DonorSearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.